For more than a month now, the lectionary, which is the menu of scripture passages recommended but not required for each worship service, the lectionary has been marching its way through the book of Jeremiah. And your two pastors have been avoiding that like the plague. Week after week, Emma and I have focused on the lectionary's other choices, preaching on the day's gospel passage, or even opting to preach on 1 Timothy, or Philemon, for crying out loud, anything but Jeremiah. Why? Because Jeremiah is so full of doom and gloom. From the book's very first chapter, when Jeremiah is first called by God into prophetic service, it's with this charge. Jeremiah is to pluck up and pull down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. In other words, two parts bad news, pluck up, pull down, destroy, overthrow, to one part good news, build, plant. And actually, across the scope of this book, that two-to-one ratio is an overly cheerful assessment. <laughs> Jeremiah spends a lot of time in destroy and overthrow mode. But today is different. Today's passage lets us hear the prophet speaking words of hope. More than that, it lets us witness the prophet committing an act of hope. The place is Jerusalem. The year is 587 BCE. The city, already pilfered of wealth and citizenry, is on the brink of complete destruction, as Jeremiah had foretold. And Jeremiah is, not for the first time, under arrest. In this setting, so devoid of hope, Jeremiah shows his allegiance to God, believing with his whole being that God has a longer view and a loving plan. The prophet takes action that anticipates and participates in God's hope-filled future. In doing so, Jeremiah urges God's people, including us, to do the same, to heed God's call to hopeful action, even when, especially when, the situation feels hopeless. This is from the 32nd chapter of the book of Jeremiah, beginning with verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of King Zedekiah of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. At that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem, and the prophet Jeremiah was confined in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah, where King Zedekiah of Judah had confined him. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of your uncle Shalom, is going to come to you and say, Buy my field that is at Anatoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. And then my cousin Hanamel did come to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord and said to me, buy my field that is at Anatoth in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And I bought the field at Anatoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the money on scales. 
Then I took the sealed deed of purchase, containing the terms and conditions, and the open copy, and I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, son of Neriah, son of Masaiah, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel, in the presence of the witnesses who had signed the deed, and in the presence of all the Judeans who were sitting in the court of the guard. In their presence, I charged Baruch, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these deeds, both this sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware jar in order that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. This too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. One of the pastors who has recently spoken with me about the possibility of serving in this congregation asked this question. What is Morningside's prophetic edge? That turn of phrase caught my ear and so I asked for clarification and the answer was something like, what is the congregation doing now to lean into God's not yet? Where does Morningside have one foot in current reality and one foot in God's future? Ever since that conversation, I've been pondering this idea of prophetic edge, of acting in the present as a way of participating in God's future. And with that in mind, I keep noticing examples of prophetic edge all around me. Now, before I get to those examples, which I hope will help you consider your own examples, let's explore this biblical example. In a context of utter hopelessness, I mean Jerusalem is surrounded and Jeremiah is imprisoned, the prophet's cousin asks him to purchase a field in their hometown, Anatoth. It's a laughable request. I mean, land already under enemy invasion is not a sound real estate investment. Yet, whether war has left Cousin Hanamel financially bankrupt or simply bankrupt of all hope, Jeremiah agrees. Now, this is not simply Jeremiah coming to the aid of a cash-strapped relative. No, did you notice how public Jeremiah makes his purchase? Anticipating social media by just about 2,600 years, Jeremiah does everything he can to draw attention to his action publicly signing and sealing the deed, weighing the payment on scales. This occurs about 50 years before coins come into common usage, making sure as many witnesses as possible are noting these proceedings. And then in the presence of everyone possible, everyone who's gathered to witness this eccentric display, Jeremiah declares, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these deeds, the seal deed of purchase and the open deed. And that was a copy that you could reference without breaking open the sealed deed. Put them in an earthenware jar in order that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and vineyards and fields shall again be bought in this land. 
By faithful action, Jeremiah is demonstrating that even in seeming hopelessness, there is reason to cling to hope. It may take a long time, but God will keep God's promises. More than bailing out of poor relative, this is what's called a sign act. Sign acts are symbolic actions that prophets performed to draw attention to God's message. Because they are performed in public, sign acts have impact now and also create ripples beyond the immediate. They point beyond the hopeless present toward God's hope-filled future. In other words, sign acts are an expression of prophetic edge. Now, for the ancient prophets, sign acts ranged from the theatrical to the excruciating to the downright gross. Happily, that is not necessary for our prophetic edge. What matters is heeding God's call to take action that leans into God's future. Jeremiah buys this property, declaring in word and in deed that houses and fields and vineyards, in other words, opportunities for everyone to experience well-being and purpose and joy. These will again flourish despite the current reality. So with that as our model, here's a hodgepodge of 21st century prophetic edge sign acts, some involving people we will never meet and some involving people in this room. Did you happen to hear about the pop-up school? In Matamaros, Mexico, where migrants await their day in immigration court, a teacher from Houston who's been volunteering there decided to organize weekly classes for displaced children. She recruited teachers from among the asylum seekers. A finance professional fleeing persecution as a gay man teaches math. An exiled English professor teaches reading. Others lead arts and crafts. On a city sidewalk, in the midst of seeming hopelessness, the pop-up school is having an impact in the moment, and it's creating ripples by pointing to God's future of peace and plenty, even if that takes a long time. Or did you hear about the Morningside members who recently showed up at the home of a grieving family? And without making any fuss, they attended to all of the planters outside the house. In the midst of a hopelessness bleaker than most of us have ever had to endure, these Presbyterian flowerpot ninjas, you know who you are, suddenly appeared and warded off the impact of heat and drought, pointing instead to God's eventual future of beauty and life or the youth climate strike 10 days ago. Millions of young people around the globe urging their elders to rise above any politics, to accept the science and commit to a course of action that will improve health and security, create jobs, and rescue the planet. In an era when hopelessness has acquired a new name, eco-anxiety. These kids are having an international impact, and they are creating ripples as they help us 
Heed God's call to move toward a future where all will thrive. And speaking of kids, last Sunday we had 17 kids in Sunday school. And if the five regulars who were absent had been here, that would have been 22 kids in Sunday school. On Monday, one of their teachers told me that just a few years ago, four kids in Sunday school would have made her, quote, dance a jig. So, back then, knowing that consistency makes a huge difference for children, Cindy Humphreys and Sue Belay performed the sign act of committing to teach Sunday after Sunday, year after year. They had immediate impact on the kids they taught then, which created ripples, and without having to wait an especially long time. We are right now seeing the results. That particular glint of God's future has come to meet us in our present, all because of prophetic edge, enacted hope. Those teachers didn't just have hope for Sunday school. Hope in the abstract isn't enough. Hope needs to be converted into action. According to Jeremiah, hope must find its feet, its hands, find its voice, its backbone. God calls us to hopeful action. Today, we celebrate one of the church's most hopeful actions as we baptize Mills Ladan. His grandmother, the Reverend Leah Horton, will place the water on his head. His cousin, Wesley King, will ask questions of the children. And Elder Sandra Ward will ask questions of you. So we will not only witness the theatrical, symbolic act of claiming God's love for every child, we will enact it together. It will have an impact in this room, in this hour, and it will also create ripples to remind us of God's longer view and loving plan. Ripples that I pray will work their way into whatever hopelessness you may encounter, helping lift your eyes to the unseen horizon of God's hope-filled future. Perhaps participating in Mills' baptism is your prophetic edge promising to contribute to a child's spiritual development in word and deed with love and prayer. That is no small act of hope. Or maybe your prophetic edge has to do with other children, those in Sunday school or in a pop-up school or at Dobbs Elementary School. Perhaps your prophetic edge has to do with climate justice or doing whatever you can to care for grieving friends. All of those are faithful. If you're looking to expand your prophetic edge, here's an invitation. Join those of us who have already signed up to participate in the Suicide Prevention Walk on the afternoon of November 3rd. From the hopelessness associated with suicide, this sign act event looks toward God's future of hope. And that is the thrust of this Jeremiah passage. No matter how hopeless your situation feels, now is the time for the faithful to take steps, to do what we can in the present to participate in God's future, to buy into God's faithful, 
if unfathomable, future. That's what Jeremiah is doing. And here's the most hopeful thing. You do not act alone. We together are the body of Christ, and when our actions align with God's priorities, justice, mercy, love, hope, then our actions become part of the, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, prophetic edge that Jeremiah was enacting way back in 587 BCE. So what is your prophetic edge? What are you doing now to lean into God's hope-filled not yet? And if ever you are asked what Morningside Presbyterian's prophetic edge is, what will you say? <laughs>